All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio, episode 31, and we've got the most famous of all, the Georgia Turkey call makers and calling champions, Ricky Joe Bishop himself, coming on with us to tell us all about what he's done over the last 30 years of turkey hunting. He said he's been rocking and rolling for a long time, and we can't wait to hear about it, so y'all come be with us. I don't know why that thing turns off like that, like it just shuts off at once. But thanks, everybody, for tuning in. It's going to be a fun night. We've got a packed house here with us. Nick Wilson, my co-host, and man on my right, as always. I got my main man, Cody Watson, straight across from me. He's over here been laying out all kinds of social media content over the last few days. And we got a special guest here with us tonight, Nick Durham. He's going to come on. He made the introduction kind of in a segue of sorts to get uh, Mr. Ricky Joe Bishop on with us and Hey, I ain't going to waste no time on it. I'm just going to welcome him on in. So, Ricky, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be on here. Love talking turkey and getting in the woods. We actually went on a hunt this weekend and took Daryl Singletary's boys out, and one of them was lucky enough to get a bird. Was that was that local to you down there in South Georgia? We went down to uh, a hunt. We did it first time last year. This was the second annual, but uh, – I don't know if people know, Daryl passed away about two years ago. He's 46 years old with a massive heart attack. He had four kids. He uh, had two twin boys. And uh, he had hunted with us for years and years. So we took, uh, took it upon ourselves, a big group, to get them to get in the woods. And they got one turkey last year, one of the twins. And we wanted to get the other twin this year. And took him out. And he got a huge turkey. I mean, this thing had inch and, almost inch and a half spurs. And probably, we didn't have scales. He probably weighed 24 pounds. And we wound up getting him in Clay County. We, we hunted uh, Randolph and Clay down there. And we had a great time. And actually, his brother missed the bird uh, later that morning. And the, I took a, the landowner's boy out. And uh, we had a turkey come in, strutted all around us, 35 yards. And he just we just could not get a clean shot. And I told him not to pull the trigger. And it, it, just, it just wasn't going to happen on him. He was all twisted around. I didn't feel comfortable. He didn't feel comfortable. He's only nine and a half years old, so we didn't pull the trigger on that one. Well, for everybody that don't know out there, Ricky, um, from my understanding, you know, your your famed turkey hunting and turkey calling career professionally, you know, it extends vastly probably farther than any of us ever imagined until we got to reading about you. You were a two-time Grand National Champion. You're a four-time Georgia Champion. And you said you'd finish second countless numbers of times, which we all know that feeling coming in second. That just teaches you how to get better the next time. So for you to come on and be with us tonight, it's indeed an honor and a privilege, and we sure appreciate you taking the time to do so. Well, thanks for having me. So take me back. I want to know. I'm going to ask it right off the rip. I ask you when we're starting this thing up, Mr. Mike Middlebrooks, and uh, I want to hear about that (laughs) Yamaha 100 y'all was riding that time before y'all on it. Well, I've always had an interest in turkey hunting. I can remember uh, I was telling somebody a while back, and I forgot about it for years. And I was back when I was going to church when I was about 12. We had Mr. Cotton. He was the head of the game board department down here, and he taught me how to make a turkey call out of a pill bottle back there, a tube call. So he made it with a balloon and a pill bottle, cut the bottom out. And uh, I made my first turkey call like that. And then I remember getting my hands on a mouth call and blowing it on a scuba somewhere in his old pinwood with clear plastic. It had tear up the roof of your mouth but i had uh, one of those and then later on uh one of my buddies got the interest in it uh, mike middlebrook so we decided me and him and a couple of other boys gonna go 
hunting the place we called Devil's Backbone back then. It was a uh, big timber company land, beautiful country. I still hunt it public land now. And uh, we got on his Yamaha 100 and went back in there <laughs> and tried to get on some turkeys. And we rode all over until we got, he rode through a big old springhead mud hole. And I think he busted the mud block in that thing. It was so hot and we ran, <laughs> they ran through it. So we had to push that thing out of there. Folks wouldn't know nothing have, about that these days, that having to enjoy times like that out with your buddies. Kids today don't got no clue, do they? Yes, lucky we lived. We didn't have no helmets. We rode that thing. I bet we rode 15 miles on that thing that day on them dirt roads and all back in the mountains, what we call the mountains down here. Uh, it was pretty country. It's still beautiful country. And that's where I wound up about a year or two later. I killed my first turkey down there with him. And uh, he's he was had a bad habit always. we go hunting. He'd get comfortable trying to go to sleep or something sitting up a tree calling, and he'd just sit back. He'd always lay his gun down beside him. I always kept mine on me. And uh, I heard something. This turkey come in, never gobbled, snuck in on us. And uh, sure enough, I killed him. He got some mad. He was doing the calling back then. I was, I was just learning to call. And he's using old Ben, uh, ben Rogers Lee twin hen slate call. And this turkey slipped in, and I killed him. I think it was 1982 when I killed that turkey. And uh, but but they got we got both got hooked from then on. We started doing competitions later and traveling. And uh, Michael Middlebrook started joining us when he was about eighteen. Started traveling with us, and uh, that's how he got to meet Bill Jordan back in those days. After we, me and him won the world two man team championship, and we won the two man team grand nationals twice. And uh, that's kind of how he got his claim to fame too. Who was that again? Mike Middlebrook. I mean. Uh, Michael Waddell. Michael Waddell, that's how he got started. So you won the, the you won the team calling with him? Yes. Won the world championship with uh, Michael Waddell, and uh, we won the Grand Nationals twice with it, doing it together. Now, let's yeah. let's let's go back to when that started, Ricky. What what got you into calling competition calls? Well, Mike Middlebrooks is one really got me in. Michael Waddell both started. He I was he was trying to film turkeys back then do hunts and nobody was doing that at the time and back then we we're calling the little team call, uh, call company called rome brothers and rome put us all three on the pro staff send us calls and, and they come down and we'd go out and try to film and then mike started said you need to, you know he got, he's wanted to come along and said you need to you know start doing more contests and he begged me to go and i started going and i started winning some and beating him a little bit and my big my biggest thing was i had a really good purr call and the way i purr is I'd kind of gargle my throat. Uh, way I explain to people is I, I, I'm almost gargling and I'm, I'm vibrating my, what's it called, uvula, I guess, in the back of that little dangly thing in the back of your throat. Well, we was coming back, funny story, we was coming back in the contest one day and I'd won and because I won because, of course, of how I'm a purr. And when I practice it, I get really good with it. And Mike was like, hey, let me see what you're doing. I said, I'm vibrating that thing there and just controlling the air. He said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to beat your butt next time. So he went home, come back, and got in the truck, going to the next contest. You ain't going to believe this. He opened up his mouth. He said, I was born without one of those in my throat. <laughs> he was so mad. So he he gave it up after a few years later after that. But that was uh, but the purr was one of my better calls back in the day. Now, can you purr on any any cut? Uh, most cuts I can. I, a V cut I can't purr too much on. Uh, a cutter, and then like a, a ghost cut, something like that. This one is kind of my. And some cur- 
calls of fur better. You have to go through them. And these calls I just built just uh, last week before I come in on that hunt. Well, but they some of these wet, some of them ain't. I just pulled them out and got a while ago. Pulled them out of my vest. What's your uh, favorite cut, Ricky? I've got a cut I build now. It's kind of a takeoff of a, uh, a, uh, it's like a ghost cut to one side. Kind of, it's kind of hard to explain, but uh, it's not too different from uh, what's normally out there on cuts. We build some calls now. It's got some crazy cuts, and one of them I really like. Uh, and I don't know how you explain it. It's, it's got a cutter on one side, and it's, it's all like old shipwreck, but it's cut a little bit deeper. And it's got a little slice in it. I really like the way it goes. That's a little bit of it. It's how many hours a day? How many hours a day you play around with them mouth calls, Ricky? Uh, honest with you, not many this year at all. <laughs> uh, I probably I run them during hunting season. Uh, I mean, uh, when we was hunting Saturday, yeah. going through a few, just saying, you know, kind of grading them out. These don't even have the tape on them yet. It's just uh, metal frame and rubber right now. I'll probably, I don't like uh, hunting a whole lot with them like that because that loons will be bad for you. So I'll tape them here probably before I go on the next night. We're going, I'm going back to South Georgia this weekend, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I heard somebody on uh, I heard somebody on Cuz Strickland's podcast the other day, and he told him that he, Cuz was telling that guy, I don't remember that guy's name, he said, man, I, you, you guys used to spit those mouth calls out at those competitions, and it wouldn't be nothing but a piece of aluminum or a reed. Mm-hmm. So I guess smaller the better for a lot of folks. Yeah, Cuz ran the world championship, but he was a good friend of mine. Him and Toxie and a guy named Bob Dixon, they all ran it back in the day. When we met me and Michael won the team, I went down there and called in a bunch of times. And uh, that was some good old times back in them days. Explain that team. How does that like when you go to those competitions, those are all scenarios. One of you are the hunter is one of you the hunter and one of you the hen? No, they just they, they give you a printout of what the turkeys are doing like a fall sequence you got kikis and you got fly downs you might have fighting purrs a gobble and then what you do as a team member you get with your partner and you say well hey i'm gonna do this i'm gonna be the hen you be the gobbler goblin and you have to even throw in some crow calls you want to make it, you just want to put a scenario in that in the judge's minds of that thing that they gave you and you want to make it as real as possible i mean you'll be scratching leaves and purring and some of it and Usually do three different sequences, and uh, they score you on, on each call and uh, how well you did over putting the old routine together. Y'all ever take a motorcycle and ride for ten? Y'all ride it <laughs> right across the stage. Yeah, right now, it fire it up, ride it in. <laughs> yeah. oh, we never tried that. Now, now, did you guys did you guys put in like uh, normal day sounds? Trucks coming down the road. Anything? No, we did. I mean, people do some weird stuff sometimes. Do some crazy stuff. <laughs> really, I can't remember. We didn't really do anything. We kind of stuck to the turkey calls natural. We throw in different animals now. Okay, I've heard guys do chickens, roosters, and you know stuff. Throw it in there and bullfrog. Uh, if you hunt next to a swamp or something, they throw all kind of crazy stuff in there like that. Uh, that that's, and, uh, that's pretty yeah, wild pretty to neat. see. Now, how much do they judge you on? Um, what do you say, performance on the stage, like acting it out? Yeah, they, they, they can't see you uh, in the nationals of the world. They're behind the curtain, just like any, any calling contest. They, they don't know who's out there. 
So they just listen to the sounds you're making. And, you know, and if you, you get that routine, it's polished where you're blending back and forth to make it sound like something's really going on in the woods. You know, that's what you got to paint that picture in their mind. Now, was all your competition calling over the years <clears throat> done strictly with mouth calls only? I had used to, I used to do some uh, friction calling, did okay in that, but got into it for a few years. But then uh, my best competition was using the mouth calls mainly. That's pretty wild. Yep. Now, I won the Nationals in 94 and 95, and then I, I won the U.S. Open and Mid-America. Uh, I think I won every, uh, every major except the – I won the U.S. Open. There was one, only one that I didn't win. <clears throat> I went up and tried to win it twice, but it was a, it was a weird contest up in Pennsylvania. The Masters. I didn't win the Masters. That's what it was. You had to use, I think, six calls. You could use uh, three mouth calls, and then you had to do three with friction. And I come in like second or third in that competition one time. the highest I ever got. Are you still competition calling to this day? No, I hadn't in a few years. It's a dang busy and other stuff going on you kind of get older and you i mean just that and i'd like to get back in it but just right in the last year COVID shut everything down they're doing virtual contests everywhere you you still take you still go to the competitions though like the nwtf yeah you're... i go to quite a few yeah i miss that the biggest thing i mean i'd make that the family vacation if you go up there to the nwtf convention my daughter loves to go the whole family loves to go it's good to see all old friends made over years and hang out and talk turkey and have a couple adult beverages and just have fun. <laughs> yeah, we, we're trying to get – actually, we got our name on the waiting list. We're trying to get a booth up there this year. So, hopefully it works out. I talked to the I talked to the lady. I can't remember her name. But she told me that usually 50 to 60 people may back out of that thing by fall time, so there may be a booth available. But the problem was that nobody got to go in, in live person last year, so it, they may not back out as much. So, Yeah, it's going to be different. I don't know what's going to happen next year. Surely they'll open it back up next year. By God, you got any advice for some first timers going up there? Uh, not really. Um, uh, I just love my daughter loves staying in Opera Land. Just, um, just take your time. It gets crowded on the, in that in that uh, in the exhibit area on Saturdays, especially. I bet. Uh, yeah, it was so crowded. <laughs> you couldn't hardly make 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 your way through there. You can get some good deals on Sunday evening going through there. You're just looking to buy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's wanting to close it out. There's a lot to see. And I know, I know most all the guys at the calling company, uh, that work for the calling company, that started the calling companies. I know Mike and Hale and Primos and all that whole bunch. I can remember Will Primos used to come to a little calling contest. We had down in Zebulon, Georgia. And uh, we'd go over there and, he he come all the way down here and hang out and judge the contest and go on a hunt and everything. Who are them folks that you who are them folks you've known as you've come down, Ricky? Do you consider to be one of the best or one that you really look up to in the in the industry? Calling calling contest? Sure. The competition, yeah. Walter Parrott was always good. He won it five times. Now the hottest thing in the the freaking nature that's going around now is uh, Matt Van Sykes. He's so into it. He works for forestry. He practices every day. He's building box calls. He's won the friction uh, world and national championship, I think, the last two or three years in a row, and he's just doing it with a box call he makes. And that's unheard of. And he can run that box call like nobody, but 
he was back in the day when I was calling that we was coming up. He was in the junior division, intermediate division. He was winning that. And then he got older. He's won the nationals, I think, four times, something like that. And that was with but a box call. No, he no, he won it with a mouth call. Mouth call. He didn't. He got so into the friction stuff, he quit calling with mouth calls for a couple of years. But he's back now. I think he finished third or fourth last year with mouth. The last time he called with a mouth call. Uh, but he's good. And then, uh, I mean, there's a lot of them out there that's really good. Uh, Joe Drake was always a good, solid caller. Uh, and I say uh, Matt Moret, Walter Parrott, and you all them guys called against a lot of them. When he, now, you grew up right here in Georgia just like we did, so getting out in the, you know, in the big world, I guess the fame side of things, was it kind of a surreal experience for you once you finally got up there with all them and got to hang out and rub elbows with all them big dogs? Yeah, well, I'm, it was, yeah, I was meeting a lot of them guys. I mean, I, Dick Kirby approached me. after I was with Rome Brothers back in the day, and he owned quite the board. And he used to come down to North Georgia, to Helen, Georgia, and call him, uh, when we had our state conventions up there. That's where I met him and Chris. And Chris was pretty young back then. And, and after I won that state, that second time up there, and I was headed to the Nationals, he pulled me to the side when I got when I was signing in the hotel. He said, I'll give you a $3,000 bonus right now if you'll sign with Quaker Boy. And I said, look, Dick, I said, I'm signed up. The Rome Brothers gave me seven mouth calls. That's what they gave me for the year. <laughs> I said, I would not do Mr. Rome wrong like that, so I wouldn't do you that wrong. I've already made a commitment to him, so I can't do anything this year. So I went ahead and called him one that year. And – uh he respected that, and he came back, and I never did sign up with him or anything, but I just stayed with Rome for a while longer. And then I got approached by a company called Loman later down the road. I went to work with them doing stuff, designing calls, and that's how I got to, in the designing end of it. And I designed the Thunderdome plate. That was one of my first inventions with them, and then Pump Action Yelper, and then uh, – Went on down the road from that, started designing my, some of my own stuff. I'm actually the guy that started the bobblehead deer that you see on Michael Waddell's show. <laughs> really? Yeah, oh, the bobble deer, bobble turkey, bobble alarm clock, bobble bass. I started that company, Bobble's Gone Wild, about, oh, it's been over 15 years ago now, probably. That's pretty then, cool. Yeah, the, the funny story to that, the way I got in on Michael's show, it was kind of a really lucky, luckiest thing in my life, probably. Um, I had a little shop garage at home. I was building turkey calls out of them. I had three or four women working for me. And I said, I need to invent something because I've been designing stuff for other companies. I said, I want to design something to put on the market and make money myself. So I was coming down the road one day. I'll never forget where I was at in the road. And I said, I want to make some bobbleheads for hunters. And I said, well, dang, I can make a, a bobblehead deer that's rubbing a tree. That'd be really cool. So I went down to Toys R Us back then. I bought a little farm family and took toys. And there was a goat. And I took a Dremel tool and shaped that thing to look, look as much like a deer as I could. Took the head off and made it bobble. And I got some little antlers somewhere and put it all together and airbrushed it. And uh, made it look really good. And then I had a company come build me a prototype. And I was working on all that. And I had, my daughter was probably two or three years old. And we are going to take her down to Columbus, Georgia to get her picture uh, with Santa Claus uh, at the mall. Everybody used to do that back in the day. So I go down there to the mall, and there's a line half a mile long going through the mall, and I just so happened to get in line to Steve Finch, which was at the work for Realtree, and they were standing in line in front of me. The person in line was all these people. He got to talk to him. He said, hey, man. He said, Michael's been to come out with a new show called Road Trip. 
He said, I'm going to produce it. It's going to be a real healthy show, hunting show. He said, I just got back in Hawaii. Got these, he said, I'm going to have like hula dolls on the dash doing hula skirts. <laughs> and I'm going to do this. I said, well, I'm doing these bobblehead animals. He said, well, I'll tell you what, you bring them down there and I'm going to look at them. We may use them. So I rode down there, showed them to him. And Michael wasn't, he was gone somewhere. We got in Michael's truck and I put them on the dash. I drove his truck around Columbus and he filmed them. And that's how I got them on the show. And they just so happened to go to that mall and get in line with him, you know, Man. like that. He happened to be there and they got him on the show there. We fake. sold almost 500,000 of those. The bottle deer. I got one. <laughs> I got one of these. There's a bunch of rednecks that do. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan had one of them on the um, dash of his truck. I never put it on we the dash, the, but I've got one of them. Yeah. We had the hanging deer, too, hanging off the rearview mirror. We did pretty good with that. And uh, and I approached Michael and tried to, you know, he wanted to go in with me on it. But at that time, he was locked in the real trade and they wouldn't let him do nothing. That's one reason he spun off and done his own thing doing the bone collector. That's He's cool. done real well with that. That's cool, Ricky. Well, hey, uh, like a lot of us uh, tried and true turkey hunters, we all want to better ourselves, and you know, we want to make make our own calls and do all we can to, you know, dive in deeper. Uh, just as a hunter, talk to us a little bit about the uh, the little jiggy you got. Yeah, I came up with that about three years ago, and that's why I'm at my shop right now. I'll be here at ten o'clock at night. I mean, it's gone bonkers. Uh, shipped out seven of them yesterday. I got eight going out tomorrow. I'm shipping out 20, 25 of those a week. And plus, we're working on a, a mouth call order of 65,000 calls. We're trying to get out, and we're shipping about 5,000 5, mouth calls a week out. And uh, and then I'm doing that at night on the side. But the little jiggy is just a little kit I put together. I 3D print them. I got three 3D printers here. And... Uh, it's got these neo medium magnets in it that hold rubber, and you judge the stretch on it, and it comes. The little kit comes with enough uh, material to build twenty calls. It's got different layers of uh, different thicknesses of latex in, in it, and it comes with tape. It comes with a little pair of scissors. It cuts really well for making the cut. And I have a YouTube video, the little jiggy turkey call building jig that you can go on there and it shows you exactly what to do, and it also comes with printed. Uh, instructions and i've had a lot of good feedback i had a guy tag me on facebook today because he was so happy i have people tagging me all the time killing turkeys with my mouth calls to make but it's pretty easy once you get into it i was showing these girls back in the day me and michael i still got a box back in those days we had to cut up condoms to build our own call <laughs> and uh big ones are and we had a little <laughs> and we had a little old piece of aluminum that had a, a plate glass on it and had a scale and you had to tape each piece of rubber down and it was a pain, and it was a whole, it was a whole lot of trouble trying to build a call. It took forever. But this little jig I got, it's really simple. I mean, I've had kids. I had a kid come out here the other day. He's 12 and bought one. His daddy bought him one. he come back by the other day. So he's done built 20 calls. He wants enough more stuff to build 20 more. And he, he was showing me the calls he built, and he did a really good job on it. And uh, we get a lot of good feedback with it. That's cool. What's uh? Talk just real quick about the history of uh, how the the turkey call, you know, the the diaphragm jigs have evolved. Um, because I know there's a you know there's a handful of different lines. I know Feather Ridge makes a handful of them. I think you yep. probably use a you probably use a pneumatic one if if I were to get. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I have a uh, I have a I have three big machines we build them with, and I've got one pneumatic one that I built. Me and another guy put together. 
and I put a little video on Facebook a while back, and all these big companies wanted to know how I built that machine, but we can we can build them really good and really fast with that machine. If you got two good workers, it takes two people to run it, but we can build right at 200 calls an hour. Just That's framing them up and stretching the rubber, but you still got to go in and do the cut and uh, tape them and all that, and trim off the tape and all that. we got a machine, pneumatic machine, trims the tape, but... Uh, there was a girl here today. She's the fastest, probably the fastest worker I got. And we got a manual machine. And she told us, girl, I'm going to build this 250 in an hour. It took her an hour and two minutes to build 250 calls. Oh, wow. And, Is that Big John's daughter? But, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, she, uh, that's just framing them up. If, if you understand, that's just putting the frame on the rubber and trimming it out. We still have to go back and cut the cuts and put the tape on them and all. So. And, uh, so that that process versus I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say any names or anything, but just like I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out the the China the China call that you, you know some folks may buy. Do they the cuts that they put on that top reed would that be uh, that be a manufactured top cut, whereas yours is a, a more of a you know all every all the calls all the cuts we have, have to hear we have to do with by hand with it's a pain some of these cuts we're doing for this company now is complicated it takes me almost three hours to cut a 250 call and uh but some of them are, you get a regular old v cut or something that's pretty easy goes pretty smooth now, i used to have women that work from home that did it for years and years she was i had one the one that was really really good she passed away but she would cut them tape them but she'd come by and get a thousand two thousand calls and bring them back in two days and I just write her a check and she'd go and she did it for so many years she was just she, she knew exactly what she wanted and she every one of them looked exactly the same now I got a wife that stays at home <laughs> with two youngins now if you're interested in getting back into that work at home I might I ain't no turkey hunter but I might have her put to making turkey calls some of these girls make some dang good money if they fast and get it and they sit there and watch TV watch the kids do it just sit there and you know and I'm but sure if she hears this and I say she ain't got nothing going on at home during the day, she's going to be on my <laughs> tail. Get your legs striped. Yeah, for sure. You might be sleeping under a roost tree somewhere. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ricky, let me ask you about mouth calls, about cuts and how you stretch them and all that stuff, because I don't have a clue. I've never made a mouth call in my life, but I've probably blown, you know, a handful of them, if not more, you know. That's under estimate, but well, you know, I probably I blowed, tell- I probably blowed fifty of them, and some of them are hard to blow, and some of them are easy to blow. If well, I tell you, I was telling somebody the other day though, you know, it's kind of evolved. If you watch some of these new callers, they're kind of huffing over that call, huffing the air, and they've got a really tight stretch on it, and they get that sound like Matt Mansites. That's what he does. Uh, I was looking at him build calls and asking about it. He stretches his a lot tighter than most calls. And a lot of it's easier to blow a call that doesn't have a lot of stretch. And I tell guys when they start building a little diggy, you just want to get that, pull the tension, of, get the wrinkles out of that rubber and just pull it just a little bit further. And start with that. It's a lot easier to blow because you don't take as much air. But once you get a little bit more involved, you might want to try a little more stretch. And it, but when you get into that, it's going to give a little higher pitch. And you got to learn to uh, huff that air more over it. Kind of, and what I'm talking about huffing is, to me, I'm trying to, get it perfected but it's more of a you get that whiny front end how you go almost a hoof, hoof, hoof. you're almost doing it that way 
you listen to some of those guys that's winning on the contest, man. They just and they get that really. If you listen to a hand, she's almost got that sound. that's like it's a huffing, like a hard to explain. If you listen to one real close, it's a different. But when I was winning, I had that really good two tone yelp that nobody had out there. And I used to have people stop me at the shows. Let me see you calling your mouth. I don't see how you holding your mouth. How are you making that sound? Because I was one of the what made me win back then is I was I was doing something different than everybody else was doing, and uh, I was getting a high front end and a low. This is a lot of rasp, and I think that's what helped me the most. I want to clarify something real quick because these guys are over here gabbing, laughing at me, giving me jabs when I said a handful of mouth calls. How many mouth calls can you get in your hand? You think? <laughs> they were making fun of me like I'd only mess with five, but I could get a lot of mouth calls in one hand. That wasn't why I was laughing at you, but I, I ain't going to say on here why I was giggling. But yeah, we, we was giggling at something different, this way you said it. But yeah, I've blown a many of them. That's the kind of, what you, the kind of way I took it. Oh, we're going that way. Okay. Oh, you know, that's how you, though. You can go through a lot of mouth calls and then you find that special one. I mean, I don't know what it is. You can sit there and look at who would look identical, but they, sometimes they'll sound a lot different. But uh, one key point, too, is like when I had back in the competition days, I had a kiki call, which is a hard call to get, and you get to give them. Chris Kirby told me the same thing. He had that call for like seven years. And what you do, you want to, if you get a good call, is uh, wash that thing out under the sink, get to wash the reeds out good, let it dry on a paper towel overnight, and then put it in the uh, plastic baggie or something and put it in your crisper in your refrigerator and it'll last a long time that way just don't ever leave it like laying out in the sun or uh, under the light uh, exposed uh, even if it's on the table make sure it's inside a case or inside some kind of a baggie because we build them all the time i tell these girls don't even leave the rubber laying on the table unprotected or anything because these lights we have in the shop you'd be surprised in a week or two you come back and that rubber's got spider webs in it. It's done. Sometimes it'll just start coming apart. So that's I, a little tip. I, I usually, if, if, if I find a mouth call that I particularly like, I usually try to buy a couple of them. But they all, yeah. you know, just like anything else, whether it be a pot call or box call, they all got a different sound. And, yeah. and it's hard to find that. You know, once you find that one, it's hard to keep finding one if you keep going back to buy the same cut. Yeah, and mouth calls have got so expensive nowadays. It's crazy. I mean, we used to. Buy them for just a dollar, a couple of dollars a piece or so, and uh, and that's where I got lucky back in the day. Rome Brothers, it blows my mind how lucky I was. But when I signed up with Rome Brothers, they sent me seven mouth calls for that year, and that's what I won with. I had, and there was like three of them that, uh, and I never forget. Me and Michael Walker was rooming together up it, so we couldn't even have enough money to stay with Doctor Land. So we spent staying a little, little podunk hotel across the road. And I, my one of my calls went bad, and I we had a little old box that we kept all our calls that came in, and I still got that box to this day. It's up here in the cabinet in my uh, shop. But he he practiced calls, he threw them in there, and I practiced calls, and I my call went out, and I went over there. And I went through them calls in that box, and I found one. And I washed it out, and I was blowing it. And I said, dang, that sounds good as one I had. I went and won the contest with it, and I told him later, I said, that's in your box. I got it out of your box. <laughs> he, done called, he done called it out. He's like, I don't want that call back. <laughs> he ain't getting that call back. Now, back then, you guys didn't have all these crazy cuts like they do now, did they? Back then, that one that we was using the most, it was, uh, I'll never forget, it was Brown Brothers. I get what they called it, but it was a. Uh, Three and a half reed. It was made out of condom rubber, and it just had a straight cut in it. 
that's what it had in it. And that's what I blew for years and years. Straight down the middle? Well, off the side, cut off to the side. Okay, okay. Now, you said Quaker Boy bought them out? No, they never. They just went out of business, I oh. guess. It was uh, Dale Rome was the dad, and it was uh, Terry and Robbie Rome that had it. And Terry lives down here in Georgia now. He worked for Pink for years and years. He's one that come down and moved down here and started running around Ben Lee back. People don't know Ben Lee. Ben was one of the first world champions, used to do seminars, world famous caller. He's one that got. Turkey hunting so to be what it is today, and he got killed in a car wreck uh, way back in the 90s, I guess. I called against him a couple of contests. He was a good guy. Well, you've He been, was kind of like the, the guru. You've been turkey hunting several, several years. How how much have you seen it change over the years? I've seen it change quite a bit. Uh, Population-wise? Georgia, right around Meriwether County, right in this area up here, the turkey population is way down. I mean, I've got – Three, uh, there's five boys in my family. Three of my two other brothers really hunt a lot, and uh, one's a sales rep for a company. He travels around, talks to a lot of people, and uh, we hunted. I mean, it's they're cutting so much timber around here right now. It's hard. I had a big track over where I hunted. It's 500 acres. They clear cut it, and I was deer hunting by it, and I was seeing 13 gobblers, and I was, you know, take a gobbler or so every year. But they were, last year there wasn't a gobbler to be found over there, and then. Uh, my brother's the same way. He's traveling around. He lives close to some big timber and where he hunts. And he's sharing two or three gobble this year, but uh, it's been tough the last couple of years. That's why I go down south. There's more turkeys down in that farmland still down there, but even their population is down some. I don't know what it is. It's predators or overhunted or I think it's a combination of everything. The timber uh, cutting a lot of the timber. They're having to for to keep up with the housing market right now. <laughs> yeah. Now, I got a farm up in Kentucky. It's, it was, uh, it's got a lot of turkey on it still. I've seen, I was seeing 14 gobblers while I was deer hunting, two different groups. Uh, and many, they shouldn't be still around. How many states you hunted? I've hunted all over. I've hunted all over the United States, Kansas, uh, Missouri, Tennessee, Alabama, I mean, I've hunted all the way down to New Zealand, and uh, this year I'm just going to do Tennessee and uh, Kentucky. I got invited to go to Washington State, and I don't think I'm going to go out there. And then I'll do Alabama, South Georgia down there. Maybe we may go to Northern Florida. Don't know yet. Have you killed? But, have you killed the slam? I've killed Osceola. I've killed everything, but I don't think I've killed a Miriam. I guess you could classify the turkeys I killed in New Zealand as Miriams. I don't know, but. That's nothing, something, nothing, not anything I'd really been hung up on. I would like to go down to Guatemala and kill one of those oscillated turkeys. What was that like different. hunting in New Zealand? I'm curious about that. I bet it was a long time. Ah, it wasn't that much of a challenge. We were down on a red stag hunt, and the red stag went south, so we started hunting turkeys, and then turkeys down there dumb as dirt. <laughs> <laughs> and it used to be, used to be no limit on them. Back in, I remember the NWTF guys go there and stack them up. But uh, it was the most, the hardest part of hunting them over there was the terrain. Climbing in mountains up and down. It's beautiful, beautiful country. But it's uh Did y'all kill any red stags? No, we didn't. It did I come close but they weren't quite big enough. That's been years and years ago. Uh but it was fun to go down there. I'd like to go back someday. It's just beautiful country. But uh what the weirdest part of that deal was is there people don't know it, but they're uh over they're twelve hours behind us, I guess. So we flew out at like uh, 
on a midday on a April Fool. You fly to Los Angeles before you fly to Georgia. It's a 12-hour flight from Los Angeles to New Zealand. And then it's a five-hour flight from Los Angeles to Atlanta. So when I got off the plane, I got on the plane on New Year's, on uh, April Fool's Day. And when I got to uh, Los Angeles, it was breaking down. It was April, April 1st again. So I got two April Fool's Days that year. <laughs> That was your joke, trying to, trying to get out there and, and land it in California. That was the joke for you. Yeah. Yeah, that was some wild time. Well, what do you think about all these guys chasing this 49 nowadays? It, I guess that's a new trend. It ain't even the Grand Slam no more. It's the Super Slam. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a pretty big challenge. They got more time right. off work than I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, right. that's true. That's yeah. a that's that's a lot. I mean, a lot of guys are doing that nowadays, and pretty passionate about doing it. And I don't know where they're getting the money from, but it's coming in from somewhere. Is yeah, your... and I had one. I had one buddy that was trying to kill uh, the Grand Slam of bearded hens. <laughs> that's kind of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Some I... states it's legal to kill bearded hens. I've got a bearded hen running around my farm. Stuck it's uh it's the brindle white colored the smoke face. It's a pretty real. She's got about a nine inch beard. She's been around for about three or four years now. I was about to say I got one in my backyard. It's about four inches. Yeah, I've seen a few. It seems like I've seen probably five or six over the last year. Some deer hunting. Um, I don't know if they're getting. I don't know if it's a thing, but yeah, me and Nick had one running around over at the house. We kept seeing for a while, but. Yeah, they used to say one in every nine years have a beard. I don't know. I've seen several with beards. This this one is the, just the color phase and everything. The way she is is real pretty. Now, I will say one thing about South Georgia. I don't know where it, what it is, but they got some of the longest spurred turkeys down there anywhere uh, around where we're hunting early in Clay County down in there. I killed my biggest two years ago down there. I had an inch and three-quarter spurs. He weighed 24 and a half pounds, and he had about an 11 inch beard. And uh, that was the biggest George bird I ever got. Start getting down I south. Think, they got to they got to fight more. They got to fight alligators and stuff down there. They need spurs longer. Where's your Where's your favorite state you've been in? I used to be Missouri. I used to do a writer's hunt when I was with London. Brad Harris. We'd go up there and do that. We did that 13 years straight, and that was in the in the Ozarks around the Lake of Ozarks. Beautiful mountain ranges and hills and hollers we had all the land you could hunt and we'd have a big catch fish and we had fish fries and everything that was fun times back then but i love kentucky kentucky's got a lot of turkeys and they say i'm uh, right around where i'm gonna hunt tennessee this year it's gonna be one of the best places too they cut their season back though they went from four to three birds but all that area is really good they got a good population of birds i don't know why georgia's dropping off like it is I don't. I don't need. I, I don't either. Yeah, I'm not. It's kind of scary. I, I hope the NWTF, if they have to step in and get the donation, start back doing like it used to, <clears throat> transplanting birds. You know, moving them around. So I saw them releasing some of all places. I think it was Texas last week, a week before they were releasing some birds somewhere. We just had a recent podcast with um, uh, Jimbo Ronquist. You know him. I don't think so. He, him and that Ron Jolly are teamed up starting that Turkeys for Tomorrow. Have you heard about it? Uh, I'm friends with Ron on are you? Uh, Facebook, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're starting this up, and and they're not trying to be you know competitor against MWTF, but they want to be able to help too. So 
they're trying to start something else. And we had a podcast with him, and it was pretty good. And, you know, we were, I, th- I think the biggest thing we've came to talk about is, you know, nest predators, bobcats, coyotes, all that stuff that people ain't hunting anymore. And just like me and Alex were talking about, in high school and stuff, we used to coon hunt all the time. And we, I don't even know if I know – I maybe know one person that coon hunts now. So, I, I, yeah. I, I think that's probably a big – I don't know how big coon hunting is down there around Merriweather County. Do you still see guys down there run dogs? Not too many. There's a couple, but not many. But I know uh, we got a lot of coons and possums down here. I mean, Kentucky's eat up with dang bobcats and coons and coyotes up there. But, well, you, you know, know, one thing – one thing I heard years ago on the quail population, they said finance is bad. They get in the nest and eat the eggs and get in there. If something happens and uh, they'll uh, damage the eggs and everything. I don't know. That could be part of it down here. We've got to meet fire ants. <laughs> That's a fact. I mean, you, you drive by a pasture in middle to south Georgia and there's ant hills everywhere. <laughs> do you have a big, yep. do you have a farm as you live on down there? No, I have a, uh, just live on about five acres. Of, uh, there's turkeys around my house. I live out in the woods. I live about a mile down a dirt road. But I hear them from my house quite a bit, and there's some big deer running around there. But I got a bigger farm in Kentucky, a uh, big farm. Uh, we just finished cabin on it. They were debating whether to move up there one day. I don't know. But then I got a small farm in southern Illinois, and I waited too late this year to get a landowner's tag on it. So I don't know if I'm going to get to hunt it or not. But there's some turkeys up there. Well, that's what I was, I was about to say that, too, about Illinois. They You can't shoot bobcats in Illinois. I didn't know that. I did read the regulations. You can't shoot turkeys with a – I don't shoot a 410, but it's, uh, you can't shoot them with a 410. I know a lot of guys get into that. Because when you, uh, when you, when you call a deer in in Illinois, because yeah. we, we hunt up there, when you call a deer in, they'll ask you how many bobcats you've seen in the area, and I don't know what that research is. And they ask you almost how many turkeys also. Yeah, I see. Yep. So, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yep. So, let, yep. Let, let's get, let's segue into deer hunting a little bit. Um it says on this thing on GON that you've invented a site for a bow. Yeah, that was way back in 1990. I patented that. I was shot right before I got in the turkey con. I did the uh, uh, 3D tournament with traveling, and uh, and I came up with a bow site that was adjustable, and I did pretty good with it. I wound up getting a patent on it. And I sold it to a company, and it was on the market for quite a few years. It's called a Contender, and. Uh, Jesse Moorhead, if you remember, ever heard of him? He was a big 3D shooter. He helped me out with it. He invented that big, there was a famous pendulum site that he came out with and sold it to a company. And I kind of talked to him. He steered me in the right direction on, on that. That was back, that was the first patent I got in 1990. What kind of bow was you shooting back in, Ricky? Uh, I was shooting a PSC, and uh, later I got into the funny story. You know, everybody knows David Blanton works for Real Tree now. Uh, he had a sporting goods store with Joey Mines. So he's a guy at West Point Lake. And they used to have a TV, little TV show together. They did in LaGrange. But uh, I killed a big old turkey down here in Maryland County. And I had to enter their big time contest, their sporting goods store. And I won a high country sniper. So I shot, started, that was the top bow back then when they come out. So I started shooting it. And then Bill came along and met David and saw what he was doing on the local cable filming. And that's how David started working for Bill. Is David Blanton as good a guy on, on in real life as he seems on TV? Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Never had dogs. You're talking about bobcats. You're talking about bobcats for a whole cat. That just made me think something. Uh, I don't know if you heard the story about me getting attacked by a bobcat turkey hunting. No. no. I, 
I was down on Big Liza Creek. It's been about three years ago now. I drew late season, third season down there. Uh, I could drew it again this year. And a local postal guy, big turkey hunter, I told him I drew it. And he said, I tell you where to go. He told me to go on a certain road. He said, that's a good place. He said, I didn't draw this year. So I went in there. The first time I rode in there, I didn't know where to park. So I'm just going to do a little cruise through and see. I rode down there, and there come a tom and a hen run across the road in front of me. I said, okay. So I'm going to ease down here and park. So I did. Got all my stuff out. And uh, I went up a ridge. I'm going to go. went down a creek bed, went up on a hill. And I went up on the prettiest little knob I've ever seen. It. And something kind of freaked me out. Never seen before. It was these big rock mounds and everything all around there. Like, I don't know if uh, farmers did it years ago, what it was. But I picked out a spot to set up. But I flushed a hen out from up under a brush. I walked right up on her. I said, that's strange. You never walk up on them. Then I drunk two, two hens I jumped. And that's so I said, I'm just going to set up right here. So lo and behold, I forgot my hat on the dash of my truck, but I had a full head net and I tied it in the back and got them dangling strings. And I'm sitting there with my gun on a shooting stick and I got one of those newfangled uh, vests got the frame. So you're not sitting right against the pine tree. You got in front of it a little bit. And I'm sitting there and calling and waiting and I'm just using my mouth call and, uh, I'm sitting there looking, and I've been there about 25 minutes, about long enough for my mind to start drifting a little bit. And all of a sudden, I heard the god awful noise over my right shoulder, and before I could turn my head, I guess this bobcat had stalked up within eight or ten feet of me and just took off and jumped right on top of my head. Golly. And, and latched onto me, and it felt like a dang hornet's nest got hold of me, and I screamed like a, I guarantee I you, like yeah. nobody screamed, and I jumped up. And he scared that cat as much as did me. I come up, all I could think, I, I just wailed around and shot, and I missed it. It was running a hole, but, but I was bleeding. I had eight or ten uh, where he clamped his claws into the top of my head. Uh, it scared me to death. That, that was the craziest thing ever. And um, I wound up calling a doctor friend of mine. He sent me a, a prescription for uh, antibiotics, so I took them. He said he didn't. I didn't get tested for rabies or anything, but luckily, but I talked to several people. I talked to Game Warden about it, and he said he probably just uh, thought she was a turkey. He saw probably what happened is he heard me calling, and he saw those where I tied that head net in the back, the strings swinging around when I moved my head left and right, and it, it just snuck up behind me and didn't make any sound until it, until it took off to jump on my head. I bet you never forgot that hat on your dash again, did you? <laughs> no. We got a lo- scared the crap out of me. We got a local guy here. He kind of told me the same story. He was out in New Mexico hunting, and he kind of had the same encounter with a um, a cat out there. And do you? He's a local turkey call maker up here. Um, his name's Lonnie Mabry. You know him? Ever heard of? I've him? heard that name. Yeah, yeah. He he kind of told me the same story when he was out in New Mexico. So I guess they thank you. You know, I guess you do such a good job. Calling, they come yeah, and attack. I ain't well, been attacked yet. Well, the next year, another crazy, real quick Bobcat story. <clears throat> I had been sick, had to go to the doctor and got some medication, and I came home and it was about February. So, just starting to get warm enough, warm, starting early March, February, and I got two dogs traveling with me everywhere. One of them, they right here with me now, laughing, a, a rescue dog. And they started, it was just warm enough to let them out on the porch. And I got a glass screen door and something was going on in the news. And I was sitting there reading my medication uh, instructions in my living room and, uh, and watching TV. And I got that door that shut all the way and my lad will pop it with his foot and it'll spring open. And he'll come, he'll get his nose in and come on in. And I'm sitting there reading this and I hear this screen door go boom, kaboom, kaboom. 
I'm thinking, ah, dang it, he can't get in. So I get up, and I'm walking at this place. I walk over, and I start to open that door, and a bobcat jumps up and hits that glass as hard as he can right by face high. Just wow! And they, I, all of a sudden, he bounces back, and he's got the craziest look on his face. So I run try to find a gun. Long story short, he got away from my house, but we found him down the road, and we wound up uh, killing him, and he tested positive for rabies. And that was a – he was a huge bobcat, huge bobcat. So you never know. He done went to some other neighbor's house to try to get a hold of them. <laughs> Golly. So everybody teases about bobcats now. It's <laughs> your nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still get – you still get out and turkey hunt as much as you did back when you were younger? Uh, yeah, probably as much or more. Uh, really? Right now, since I own my own business, uh, usually we wind the calls up by now. We're usually done. In turkey season, usually I got more time than any time. But during deer season, especially ruts, usually our business, I built, start building turkey calls. But okay. uh, this year, we're running late on them. And they let them. I guess because of COVID, the stores are taking them in late and, uh, they're, they're screaming at us every Wednesday or Thursday, how many are you going to get out this week? And then as soon as they get them, they're going straight to the store. Time of year to be selling so, stuff like that, I'm sure. Ricky, you made mention, you as a, are you as big a deer hunter now as you was back, back way back when? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really got uh, mostly bow hunt. I hadn't shot a deer with rifle since 87. And I tore my rotator cuff this year. I had to tore it. Years ago, and I retore it this year, so I was up in Kentucky, and I had to go get a crossbow. I wound up killing a real good buck, biggest buck on my farm, my oldest buck on my farm, with crossbow, but uh, I'm back shooting a compound now. I'm going to get something with a little more let off on it, but I may have to have surgery, so I'm going to keep a uh, crossbow for backup. Yeah, I, I went but, through that this past season, had to use a crossbow, and it was it was a – challenging to, to carry that thing around when you're sitting there with it on your lap and the deer stand it's almost like it's a time bomb sitting there it was for me anyway it scared me to death to sit there with it yeah well, i had a great hunt with it i literally liked it the way it worked out i was hunting a ground line on a big food plot and i went up late season in kentucky and i ain't never seen nothing like i saw 21 bucks in three sets of that ground line and the last day when i shot that buck it was the 17th of january he was the ninth buck come out. I had nine bucks within 25 yards. And when he came out, he stood facing me for over 20 minutes. I couldn't get a shot until he finally turned. And uh, he finally turned and I got him. But it was a, kind of a exciting time. The, the shooting or anything you take out of a ground mine like that, really exciting. Yep. But, you, had a, uh, you had a chance to hunt much up there in southern Illinois at your place? I've only turkey hunted. I used to hunt Illinois all the time. I had a guide turkey years and years ago, but uh, I love Illinois. Actually, if I ever sold my farm in Kentucky, I'm either looking at southern Illinois or either somewhere on the Flint River in Georgia. Taylor or Macon County, I'd like to find something. That's, uh, that's where, that's where we all go, out to southern Illinois, deer hunting every year. We love it out there. Yeah, a little farm I got in White County, but I started out, uh, when we first started hunting, it was 92. It was me and Michael Waddell was a little kid then, and uh, Young, his daddy, Michael's daddy, and uh, his brother-in-law then, Shane Collier, and my brother Craig. We got up there and hunted Johnson County around Diana. And then we got permission to go up to Pike County before it was even got famous. A buddy of mine had, uh, had some land up there, and we hunted up there. And we killed some pretty good deal around up in there. 
You but said yeah, I'm a, love it. You said you live in Merriweather County, correct? Yep, that's a good Deer County. How how far is that Muskegee? Is that, am I saying that correct? Muskogee. 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 Yeah. How how far? Is yeah, that? we're about thirty miles from Muskogee. What about yeah. the? Did you see where they're trying to pass that law for the city? Where they can't? Oh shoot, yeah, yeah. Shoot bows. We, we, <laughs> yeah, we're talking. Philip Culpepper lives in that county. He, he was on that hunt with last weekend. He was talking about. It. They're trying to shut it down. We can't hunt around the city at all. Zero hunting. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I heard. I heard. Um, I heard Philip on another podcast talking about that they were trying to get it where you couldn't even like practice in your yard with a bow. I am, yep, that's true. They tell me about that. That's crazy. That is crazy. Once they start that kind of stuff, they're going to shut other stuff down. So, Especially way down there. You figured something like that, you would hear more from around Atlanta before you heard something down there, which I know Columbus is. That is Columbus. That's where Columbus yeah. is, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that yeah. is a big a big county, I guess. But Yeah. There's been some big deer come out of that county, too. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I got a few more questions for you, Rick. Y'all got something? Oh. oh. Yeah. Ricky, um you got something, Alex? Ricky, you was talking earlier and it kind of piqued my interest about when you first started hunting with Michael and you, you hunted with the real tree guys, I know a lot. What was it like hunting back in, you know, the I guess the startup days of real tree with those guys and, and you know, the hunting industry as a whole? What's it changed like in your opinion from back then to what it is now? Oh, back then it was kind of a learning curve for everybody because you didn't really know. And then uh, Michael got hired on the cameraman. I'll never forget, uh, he met Bill in that the Perry convention when he uh, they had a calling contest down there. And they and I when I won it the second time the nationals, they put me on the pro staff and they said, "Well, I want Michael to come get a camera and go around with you and try to film you." And when uh, Michael got a, one of those big old beta cams back then, brought it up here. We went over here to Roosevelt State Park, just practicing, going out there, practicing, uh, feeling what we could, and that's how we got started. But then I got invited on some hunts, went out with bills on Kansas hunts, and went to Florida, Osceola hunting. Well, honestly, it was pretty fun. But uh, it's changed now. I don't know how it's changed now. There's, there's so many people doing it. I think it's oversaturated now. I don't know. And it got to where it seemed like everybody's trying to be the big guru celebrity now and then you see a lot of these guys are is getting in trouble breaking the law i've seen a few of them doing that now so i don't know that's a, a bunch honest of with you, I, I don't watch as much outdoor tv as i used to at all i watch a little bit of youtube stuff short clips and it's gotten where you, it seemed like the attention span i remember used to do hunts that were a lot longer and then david got to saying you know we got to shorten these hunts down so they'll have a lot more hunts shorter hunts than they used to be longer hunts but that's kind of changed that in that direction, but well, it's got to be such a competition about who's going to kill the biggest and who's going to kill no. the most. It's kind of took the fun right. out of it in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. It's like with me. I mean, like on my farm in Kentucky, this buck was not the biggest buck, but he was a seven and a half year old deer, and he'd been around. He had a reputation of not showing up and just outsmarting me so much, you know, stuff like that. And I just, I mean, I've got old enough now. If I could just go up there and live in my little cabin and. Uh, grow me a little garden and hunt turkey and deer and not have to mess with all this politics and all the bulls on TV, you know, I'd be happy that. Amen to that. <laughs> that. That definitely makes for a, makes you, makes a fellow appreciate life a lot more when he gets to back to a little simple cabin away from everything, kind of unwind and, and, and disconnect from everything in the world. Yeah. Take all the competition out of it and all the worry out of it. 
Well, and I think that's what what's ruined hunting in a lot of ways for a lot of people is the competition aspect of it. They've kind of, like you said, everybody's looking to make a buck, and they're willing to sell whatever morals or, or, or principles they growed up hunting on to, to get gain a, a few more likes or follows on a social media platform or whatever it may be just to get that, you know, edge on somebody else out there. They may make a few dollars for a minute. Yeah, I ain't going to call any names, but I come out, uh, when we started hunting with Daryl's boys, I wanted to help them out, so I come out with a little call called the Double Barrel Daryl, because Daryl Clementary, the reason he got that name is when we started turkey hunting with us, we started, me and Sam Clement started him turkey hunting, and he was known, he could not shoot with crap, and he always took a few <laughs> shots, so we called him nicknamed Double Barrel Daryl, so I come up with a little slate, slate call, uh, it had two, it looked just like the front end of a shotgun, and I didn't. Uh, put the DVD on it, what we call them, DVD, Double Barrel Daryl. And I posted a video on it on Facebook and just showing it, running it, and showing it to people. I never sold any of them. I gave a bunch of them away, and I was trying to get a company to pick it up and take it, and they, they're still a company looking at it. Next thing I know, there's a guy selling calls just like it, and he's calling it Double Barrel something else. And I was like, I confronted him on it. Well, yours is something, something. I said, that's exactly the same thing. You're fr- he was friends with me on Facebook and saw it and come out with it. That's the that's way of the world now. Everybody's looking to, to – don't matter what they can build their platform on and how fast it's going to sink for them, they just going to build it up to just get that first or second touch of fame and uh, feel like that's made an accomplishment no matter what they burn along the way. Yeah, I've learned my lessons over the years. I've been doing it – like I said, I got my first patent in 1990 and been designing it. But you got to take it with a grain of salt and learn to roll with it. Some of it some – of it, some of it, you just got to know how to do the legal aspect with it and different things, but there's a lot of it goes on. That's right. Let me ask you this. You're talking about these uh, TV shows. There's so many of them now, and all these TV shows are trying to do different things or take over somebody else's. You've been around this industry for a long time, and you've been with probably some of the biggest. I mean, you've dropped some huge names that you've been around, and the world has changed over the years. What would – I guess I'm asking for a piece of advice for us because we're trying to do this podcast and we're trying to grow this thing. And, and we're not looking to make money off of it, but we're looking to try to help people out and talk to people about outdoors and, and maybe help us somebody coming up along the way. What You got any advice that you would give us? I just say stay the course and, you know, do, I mean, get uh, good people to work with. And uh, just when you do work with somebody, a big company, you know, just kind of be fair with them, make sure they're fair with you. That's the main thing. Uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust nowadays. Amen to that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> well, we set out in the beginning of this thing, Ricky, wanting to to do something different than what you know. A lot of the, a lot of the, I guess even podcasts or or you know people on social media or filming or doing anything out there, they're always looking to gain a buck and and try to try to make something out of themselves for a financial gain or, or try to build it on a platform of getting acknowledgement from the community. And what we set out to do was like we say in all of our episodes, we wanted to, you know, bring forth the memories and mount those memories and let people be able to share their, their stories of, uh, of what their favorite hunts was or what, you know, kind of got them to where they is at, as opposed to being negative in everything they talk about. And Mm -hmm. that kind of segues into, you know, what's, What's one of them hunts out there in your mind that sticks out as, as one of your favorite all time? I'm sure in your story career you've had enough to, to float a battleship, but what's one that you'd share with us that sticks out? Somebody as far as a, 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 a turkey hunt, it'd have to be one of the 
we're taking Daryl's boys out, you know, and they just seeing the joy in those kids' eyes. Uh, they were so happy last year when they got that first turkey, and we worked so hard. And Philip and Sam and all of us working together. I mean, we you have to know Philip Culpepper is one of the hardest turkey hunters. He don't give up on nothing. And we, I mean, we we hunt. When we go out on a hunt like that, we hunt from daylight to dark most of the time. We might take a little quick lunch break, but when you hunt, get up so early and hunt all day. And when some days we went, had been going for two days like that. And uh, when them boys got that turkey, they were just so, so happy. And they were just talking about their dad. And it was just, it was so joyous to see them have so much joy in their heart after they got that turkey. They were eat up with it. And nowadays, you know, we got to get more kids involved. It's, it's, that's one thing. Kids are just getting out of the hunting and losing interest in it. And people not taking their kids out. And just getting outdoors, that's the main thing. Letting them enjoy the outdoors. I think you kind of answered. Coach. I think you kind of answered one of the questions I always end with, Ricky. As I always ask anybody, what something that you would give advice for somebody coming up in the outdoors? So it sounds like you kind of answered that. My next, yeah. se- my next question would be, what what's, what are you most thankful for about this life that you've had in this journey along the way? Well, I've been blessed. I mean, I always thought I was just. I was wondering, you know, got to give it to the Lord. I was always lucky. Just stuff fell in my hands a lot of times, but then I. Other times I've had to work my butt off. I mean, I've worked on projects for two years straight trying to draw stuff out, get prototypes built, and, and sometimes it'll fall right in place. You never know, but you just never give up. And I've had projects that I failed at and lost a lot of money on. But uh, I've got a couple of new ones right now I've gotten to work, and uh, I've already showed the prototype to a company or a guy, and he's like, oh, my God, I'm in on that. If you want to invest but I'm still developing it and working on it, tweaking it a little bit. But I'm always, I don't know, I, when I lay down at night, I'm always thinking of how to build it better, or how to make it better. It's always been like that. And uh, I just love doing that kind of stuff. It's, I don't know if it's in my DNA or whatever, but I just love tweaking and building and <laughs> learning how to do stuff. It sounds like from the things that you've made, you're a pretty good tinker, I'd yeah, say. yeah. Yeah, I came from a – I don't have a college background or anything. I taught myself how to do my drawings for my 3D printing and learn how to learn. How to, I went on YouTube and learned how to – all this stuff, and I've been messing with them about four years now, and I love it. I mean, it's crazy. You can. I used to go in and build prototypes by hand or, you know, just using a saw or Dremel tool and all that, but now you can do so much better work with this, this, these machines now, and they're pretty cheap. I mean, I've, I've got the ones I've got now, $250 a piece, and – I run three of them. I was running them 24 hours a day, just running stuff on them and uh, keep them going. But I just love messing with them. Last week, I've got a backlog of calls I want to design that just ain't got the time to do it. I just try to get around to it when I can. Last week when you guys were hunting with uh, the young man and he killed that turkey, did y'all video it? Philip videoed it yesterday. He's got a cameraman. He's doing a YouTube channel called the Hunt Club now. They're doing yep. really good with that. Yeah, so I was going to ask. So he's going to uh, They found that. On that day, we split up. I was on the other side of the farm, and I had the landowner a kid with me, and we had that turkey come in, and he, uh, Roger was filming me. And we had he got a good video, but we just didn't get to kill. But uh, Philip filmed that hunt, and he said it was an awesome hunt. He, he'd come up and beat the decoy up. And Sam, it was funny, Sam – the boy, uh, Mercer, a little 20 gauge, and Sam had him between his legs, cradling him, you know, kind of holding him, you know, telling him what to do. 
the turkey. He didn't tell Sam until the turkey got up to the decoy whooping on it. He said, go ahead and shoot him. He said, I'm left-handed. <laughs> Sam had the gun on his right shoulder. Oh, no. He said, you just shoot this turkey with your right. With your oh, right that's awesome. You ever, get up, you ever get up here and hunting in uh, North Georgia birds? Uh, no, I hadn't. I used to have some friends up there. Uh, I need to get up there. Stay uh, stay down there if you don't want to walk. I've heard about them. I mean, you might have what, some big... Y'all around Cahutta? My brother hunts Cahutta quite a bit. They bear hunt up there a lot. Cahutta. About 45 minutes south. We're right here in Cherokee. We're 50 miles north of Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, we're right here Pickens County line, Pickens County, Cherokee County line. That's some pretty country. I used to love to go to heaven up in there. That's, we see turkeys all over up around there. We might not can put you on a turkey, but we can put you on a good porch session. You ever get up this way and want to sit a while? A good what? A good porch setting session. You can come oh. up here and sit on the porch with us and talk a little bit. I got plenty yeah. of porches to sit on. Just say when. Yeah. Let me ask you. I let, love it up there. Let me ask you this last question, and then I'll, I'll set I'll, these guys go around. What do you think? I mean, calling background that you have hunting a turkey. What percentage? of a, being a caller, does it take to kill that turkey, do you think? Uh, it's not that high, really. I don't know. People think it is. Sometimes it depends on where you are. I mean, knowing the terrain, knowing a little bit of the history, knowing how to set up, uh, being still is the most important thing. But uh, if you got a good caller, it helps somewhat. Uh, depends on how much pressure that bird's had on it, but. I just, I mean, you got to be well-rounded, I think, to be successful. Yeah. There, there's, guys, there's guys I know use wing bones to kill turkeys left and right, and I still use a wing bone sometimes. And I use a box call about as much as I do a mouth call. I get a really good uh, high-pitch, raspy. I go through a bunch of box calls, and I get a good one. I got a cabinet full of them right here and maintain them, and I just I always use, mix it up a little bit. Yeah, Nick kind of set you up on that because we've kind of talked about this in the past that setup we think is key. You know, being a good callers. Yeah, and that's kind of that's what I was telling Roger this weekend. We had that turkey come in like that, and uh, he circled us. And I had a perfect setup on this road bed where he's roosted down there. And I knew he had to come out in his road bed. Well, of all things, we knew we thought Philip had a, a decoy sponsor. So me and Sam didn't bring any decoys. So here we were at first day, didn't have <laughs> nobody had a decoy. So Philip gave me a decoy. When I stuck it out, it was dark. I put it out and I got looking at that thing. He spray painted the head snow white. <laughs> and, I mean, uh, to, you know, for, to display as yeah. a dominant, dominant bird. But I'm thinking now, and Roger agrees too, that that turkey, when he come up over the hill, off the, he come off, he got off the rooster early. I could hear him spitting and drumming down there. I said, Roger, I hear me. Roger said, I do too. And, uh, he, I said, he's circling for some reason. Sounds like, and, uh, Sure enough, he did. He got up on the hills. He could see down in there. And he didn't come by us and went back by us and went down on the road and made a big circle around that decoy. would not come near it. And I think, and Roger agreed, that that dominant head on him, and he could not see the front of that bird, uh, his chest, that he didn't want nothing to do with it. So that was kind of a learning. I, I told Roger, I said, I always try to figure things out, no matter what happens on an uns unsuccessful hunt. You know, try to analyze it. What you know? What did we do wrong? We didn't do anything. Wrong. I think that decoy hurt us that day more than anything. Yeah, I I agree with that. Nick Nick kind of asked the same question that I would ask as my final question. Um, but I would uh, just follow up with what you said there. Uh, 
the fellow who taught me how to turkey hunt, he always said, you know, just face the face the decoy, you know, to you and away from where you think the the tom's gonna come, um, because you know, nine times out of ten, if he sees it from a from afar, that you know he he may he think it's gonna come to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah that, I usually face it sideways and going away, like that's what that one was that morning. Right. But I know when he crossed, he come off the roost, he had to go to that roadbed, big roadbed, man. We've done scouted that area and he was scratched all up in that roadbed. And the way he acted and the way he did. And on the other side of that farm, they killed that giant body bird, huge spurs. And I'm thinking in my mind, he probably thought that was that bird, you know, and he didn't want no part of that. Yeah, that's right. That's and, right. Uh, and that's why he just circled up high and just wanted to check everything out. That's right. Yep, yep. Yeah. Right on but I'll tell you right now, for folks that's going out, they're, they're uh, probably our first going to be even worse. They're hemmed up pretty bad right now. We kind of struggled a little bit. They were, yeah. it got where that bird that they killed stayed on the roost an hour after daylight, and he never gobbled after he hit the ground. He come he come to the food plot and saw that decoy over it. But the bird breeze on gobbled really good off the roost, flew down, gobbled, spitting the drum, come all the way in. But the other places we went, we had birds we got on the first day. And once they hit the ground, you might hear one more, two more gobbles. I mean, on up to 10 o'clock, and that was it. Hmm. And they were in big groups uh, getting together. Wow. So a little early right now. Yeah. Uh, kind of a late spring, things like. And it's supposed to be in the 30s this weekend, I think. That's right. 36 here. Yeah, it's going to be a little, yeah. it's going to be rough for opening the weekend up here. I like think. hunting when it's a little cold. It was, it was, when I come back from down there, I went on the way down there Friday. It was 83 degrees in Columbus when I went through. Oh, wow. And then when I come back uh, Sunday, it was 86 on the thermometer when I come through uh, Lumpkin. That's pretty dang hot. That is hot. Yeah. <laughs> March. Well, Ricky, I, and, I, I know you're a busy man, and I, you know, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your evening to come on and chat with us for just a little bit. I mean, we could sit here and talk turkeys with you all night. The amount of knowledge that you bring is just incredible. So, um, I want to. Yeah, you know, the night's my TV night. I told my wife that I may come home and just record my show. Moonshiners and Oak Island. So that's what I like. <laughs> you like that curse Oak Island too? Oh, geez. yeah. Oh God, I've been watching it since start. They ain't gonna find nothing. Oh, that's what I was about to ask you. If they can't ever find it. <laughs> It's about like finding a good goblin in Talbot County. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. Uh, Ricky, man, I, I really do appreciate you coming on here. You know, Nick reached out to us here a while back and gave me your number, and, and I call you, and you're born happy to come on. And, man, I appreciate it, man. You, you've you done a lot for the industry. You've done a lot for yourself, and, and I appreciate it. And I hope we can hook up again and do this maybe after season and kind of see how the how your season went and, Hopefully that we have a good season up here too. So all right, well, good luck, y'all guys, and thanks I, for having me. Hey, hey, Alex is going to end this, but when Alex Alex finishes, I want you to I want you to do us a call sequence real quick. I want you to come off the oh, limb right. and fly down and and give us a little sequence. Hey, I, I ain't got nothing left to say other than thank you very much uh, for coming on. Uh, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. And Nick, you got something? Go ahead. Rick, Ricky, this is Nick. I just want to say thank you again. I, I appreciate you. Uh, taking your time and uh talking to these fellas and um good luck to you as well thanks good luck to all you guys uh just pack these calls if i got them back out now so, the sorry yeah, about yeah, that yeah, i just kind of thought about it last minute you gotta loop them up <laughs> get them back out of the fridge all right i'll do a little morning 
morning call sequence nope. from a tree call to a fly down cackle. This is yucky. There you go. Like that. Attaboy, Rick. Man, I sure do appreciate it, man. I wish I had an applause button. I'd hit you on that one. That got me fired up. And I ain't even turkey hunter. Ricky, good luck this season, man. Thanks for the call today. All right. Good luck to y'all. All right, man. Have a good Thanks. one. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. As y'all just heard, Ricky Joe Bishop laid it down as he always does. Famed turkey hunter, call maker, and just a good old boy just like we are. He really brought it to the table, and uh, he talked He talked about it. He talked about it, son. Mm-hmm. It's pretty neat to hear you know, somebody that's this simple upbringing that went through all the motions of, you know, the people that he's been involved with. I mean, he's he's had a run, run of the mill with them. I mean, all the big names. Yeah, as far and, as and I, I had there. a lot of other notes I wrote down, but we didn't even. It's hard to get to notes when you can segue off of everything you got going that's on. That's right. It One of the notes was that he'd flew out to L.A. and was on Jay Leno's show. Wow. Yeah, I'd like to talk about sure, old Jay. Old, old Big Chin. <laughs> yeah. Old Big Chin. See if he'd have told us about him. I wonder if Jay likes turkey hunting. Did he? I thought That's he, a good question. That wasn't him. That was – it don't matter. <laughs> Anyways. Handful of calls. I know. That's a big hand. You know. How many can you put in there? A lot of puffing. <laughs> Alex, what'd you do this past weekend that you didn't tell everybody up front? Went crappy fishing. Yeah, look at that smile. We said a, a smile like that since the rut. Oh, God. How many fillets did y'all cut? 132. Mm. 132 fillets in the fridge. I got to go home tonight and sack them up before I fly out tomorrow. So, Where are you flying to? Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Got to go down there and do a little work. I, you, I can't believe you let me forget mentioning crappy fishing. That I wasn't going to let you forget. Oh, Big D. Let me tell you something, son. Him and him and Jeremy Vaughn put the put the hammer on some slabs, son. They was on some biggins. Really? We had fun though. It was a lot of fun getting out and fishing with Dad and Brad. That's first time fifteen years. Did y'all run into Scott out. Hooper out there? We did. Is he catching the dinks? Well, he was he was over trying to. Uh, he, you know what's funny about old Scott? He knocked every kid on that boat out of the way when a bobber would go under the water. <laughs> Poor old Jackson didn't have a chance. He's got a little Tito in him, don't he? A lot, a did lot. He? Like Tony said, he'll knock you out of the way to get it on the best spot. Did he have us talk about it? Had on? He did. Hey. Yeah, and he was hash. No, was that him hashtag? Yeah, yeah it was yeah, hashtag. Yeah, he absolutely did. He come in that pocket and and shout out Scott. He didn't even get in there on the spot where the fish was at. Me and Brian and Sawyer and Brooks was catching them off a little treetop there, and he went right on past us. And he come back up there after I left <laughs> and got on that treetop. He didn't. He wasn't bashful about it then. But we had a really good time. The lake's low. Be careful if you run in the lake because there's plenty of stuff floating everywhere. I mean, it was dangerous. Well, I think we got there at four. Well, about five thirty in the morning. I didn't realize time changed. You know, daylight changes with it. Was out there about an hour and a half before daylight. <laughs> Derek said, well, "Where are you going?" He said, "We." I was in a hurry. I got there. I was like, "We got to go. I got to get my spot." And he's like, "Calm down. Nobody's even at the ramp. We're two hours from daylight." So, uh-huh. but it was fun. Then I'd go shoot a dog last night. 
Shaul. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nick thought you meant a coon Yeah, dog. I was like, God, did you shoot your dog? <laughs> no, yeah. no. We did. Knocked down old Coyote. Me and Josh did last night. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Was yeah. the, was the uh, crap, was y'all spider rigging or was, was they moved up already? Excuse me? Spider rigging. <laughs> spider rigging. In the channels, or would they move it up on brush? I had there? a bobber tied <laughs> 18 inches <laughs> down. Moved up is what you're saying. Yeah, we had a uh, – we no, they've moved up. They're yeah. on the brush, but it's still yeah, about – They've moved up. There's a few bunches that's moved up, but you got about a week to go. That water yeah. temperature's like 56 on the main channel. It still ain't got warm enough to push them out. It's going to be – around the rental cuts and stuff, it's 60, something like that. So I'd say this weekend, if you ain't on the water, you're going to be hurting yourself. Where'd you get your manners well, since uh, Page and Sons closed? Jordan's. They're on Little Refuge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sherry's got manners in if anybody's looking to get any. I've seen Sandy's got manners down there. Yeah. You can get your deer processed or get your manners. Yeah, if you yeah. got a deer to process in March, you, you might be doing something backwards. I don't know. If you kill a hog, he'll process it for you, too, though. You see that, Do you see that one mayo got? That hog? Yes. yes. They had to tote it out in totes. They couldn't. They had to quarter it up and tote it out in totes. I said, "Dang, son, you're you're in Fulton County. You're practicing for Idaho already." That's what I told him. He get better get his backpack out. He yeah. he ought to had it down there hauling it out. That he, was a that big old haul. He goes sees Rusty in Idaho. He's gonna be in trouble. Speaking of Idaho, we fixing to jump on a jet airplane, fly out west for his next episode. Mm-hmm. Before you end this, real quick, let Nick real quick. He caught. I was the first turkey your son killed. Correct. It was. Yeah. Man, I tell youth you what. weekend. Yeah, it was youth weekend uh, this year, 2021, Lane. he's uh, He just turned seven years old. We roosted some birds on uh, Saturday afternoon. I had to work Friday, so we didn't get to go Saturday morning. And, uh, man, as soon as I got out of the fire department, I went up there, did a little scouting uh, Saturday afternoon, did a little roosting with uh, Lane and my youngest boy, which is Jace. He's four years old. We roosted some, then went out there Sunday morning, and <laughs> Lane put the hammer on one. I'm That's awesome. You. It was a 26.6 pounds, uh, double beard. Main beard was uh, 11 inches. The uh, second beard was eight and three quarters. He had eight and three-eighths inch spurs. Eight and three-inch, one in. Huh? You said one, eight. One. In, <laughs> eight, <laughs> and three eighths. eight and three-eighths. How long was his oh, spurs? Inch and three eighths. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you killed a samurai. Oh, you away. killed a samurai turkey. I was about to say. Well, you, whoa, wait a minute here. We done had a world record on the phone. Inch and three eighths. I wouldn't my put bad. my foot on that in his head. <laughs> no, no. My bad. That turkey's whooping that was everything. Uh, yeah. I don't think they make one. <laughs> Y'all, like, you got made pump, one out uh, like that. Y'all done eat that thing? No, we, we skinned it out, and I got it in the cooler. I had to work the next day, so I was on shift. So when I get home tonight, it's in the in the refrigerator, and we're going to skin it out the rest of the way and clean all the feathers off of it and freeze it. So. Are Just, you going to mount it? No, I got mm-hmm. a uh, – we ain't going to mount it. Um, he already got one mounted in that house. Mama ain't going to let him have another one in there. Well, you know how Mama goes. <laughs> you know, you can only have so much mounted in the house. No. You damn build you a bigger <laughs> shed out back. You got a nice barn. What do you think I'm doing right now? That's where all mine's got to go. Yeah, well, that's Start piling it in. Hey, if you if you get in a chance, check out the Skull Millworks. Skull yeah. Millworks. Check out yeah. Will Rollins. He does some cool stuff with turkey. So, anybody yeah. out there that's looking for it, look him up. I talked to Will the other day, and if I kill – a turkey ever again in You're my life. You're going to kill a turkey this year. No, Not this if year. it's crappy fish that stays this hot, son. I've been jacking them. I'm ready to go. So, all right. Anything you got, Cody? Nope. Nick? Let's go.
Nick Durham, hey, man, man. thanks for being with us tonight. We appreciate the hookup on that, and it was a pleasure being here with you. Uh, Hey, we firing the jet fuel up. Get her full. They ain't got to weigh us to tell how much fuel. Fill her up. Like James Gregory (laughs) said, fill her up. For everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for tuning in. Y'all come back and be with us next time. And as always, smile as you go, and don't forget, mount the memories.